Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. There's still opportunities for next year for Guatemala and Zambia and all sorts of other places we're going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, so... Maybe that, seeing that little video touched a couple of your hearts. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for all you've done. Thank you for all you've given, for the way in which you love us, Father, for the way in which you provide for us. I thank you for the chance you give us every Sunday morning to open the truth of your word, Father. Impress upon our hearts the significance of what we're doing when we're opening the absolute truth of your word. Lord, may it speak into our hearts, may it speak to our lives, may it encourage us, strengthen our faith, help us to deepen our walk in you, Lord. And I pray that through the power of the Spirit we be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. If I were to ask you this morning, what's the biggest announcement you've ever heard, what would you say? you had to list out the the most important thing you've ever heard, maybe you would list a famous news story, maybe you would list a sports announcement or a sports call, maybe for some of you it was the day your wife told you she was having your first child, that may have been the biggest announcement you've ever heard. Unfortunately, lately some of the announcements we hear, especially with the news, is kind of difficult to listen to and sometimes it's difficult to hear. But a lot of times the way that our society works now because of internet and television and and Twitter and all the things we have, most big announcements are heard all over the world. In fact, when something big happens, literally within a matter of minutes, everybody in the world has a chance to hear it. But that's not the case through history. In fact, not all big announcements are heard all around the world. Some are much more reserved much quieter. When the angel Gabriel announced to Mary that she would give birth to a son and call him Jesus, it was, at least in my estimation, the most important announcement ever made. And yet it passed with absolutely no recognition from the outside world. Do you understand that? Nobody knew. Nobody heard. Other than Mary and Joseph in that very moment, nobody really cared then. Yet what we see scripturally is that for thousands of years the Lord had prepared, for thousands of years the Lord had begun to make plans, for thousands of years the Lord would foretell the prophecy of Messiah that would one day come, and in Galatians Chapter 4, verse 4, when the time had fully come, God sent his son. It's the greatest story ever told, and I believe what we're going to look at this morning is the greatest announcement ever made. It's the story of the announcement of the birth of Jesus Christ to Mary. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, we spent... All of last week in our sermon, looking at the first 25 verses of Luke chapter 1, and we studied who John the Baptist was going to be. We talked about the, the angel Gabriel and Zechariah, John's father, and Elizabeth, John's mother. We looked at prophecy of the Old Testament, we looked ahead to who John the Baptist was going to be. 
We talked about the fact that John came to prepare the way and call the people of the Lord to repentance. And so we've kind of built up to this point now that we've seen the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist. Today we're going to look at the announcement made by Gabriel to Mary several months before the birth of Jesus Christ. But here's what I want you to understand before we begin to read this passage this morning. This was not some simple announcement to Mary. This was not just some simple announcement of the birth of some child. This was the announcement. I want you to hear me. This was the announcement of God's plan to redeem his people back to himself. You understand what we're talking about here? This is the announcement of the birth of Christ, the Savior of the world. And so we're going to begin our study this morning, Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, and we're going to work our way through this passage of Scripture. Then I want you to see some things in the truths we pull out. I want you to understand that the announcement was certainly intended for Mary, but I believe the announcement carries great significance for us still today. So Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, and by what that's a reference to the pregnancy of Elizabeth with John the Baptist, in the sixth month, really, of her pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, I want to pause there for a second. I want to make the first point. I want to see the first truth, and I want to build on that this morning. Truth number one that I want to pull out from verses 26 and 27. And by the way, all these truths are going to be related to the truth of this announcement. But point number one, the announcement that we see here in verse 26 and 27 was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. It was a clear fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Now, some of you are, at least in your minds, you're rolling your eyes. Here we go with the prophecy stuff again, right? Here we go, Adam. You've been talking about this now through the book of Genesis, and you've kind of been building this picture in Genesis of Messiah that would one day come, and we've been talking about Abraham and his line and Isaac, and we're going to continue that after Christmas. And so we've been kind of looking forward to Messiah and talking about all things leading up to Messiah. But then last week, we began to talk about the prophecies again, and we started looking back on the prophecies of the Old Testament. We talked about the prophecies of John the Baptist and how the Bible foretold centuries before the birth of Christ centuries before the birth of John the Baptist, that one day someone would come and prepare the way for Messiah. Now, the Old Testament doesn't tell us who that's going to be. It doesn't give us any great detail. But we know that one day, just before Jesus is going to be born, according to the Old Testament, someone would come and prepare the way for him and teach about repentance. That's exactly what John the Baptist does. But you say, why, why Adam, is prophecy so important? Why do we need to understand prophecy concerning Messiah. There are two reasons I want you to understand. Two reasons that prophecy of the Old Testament are so important. The the first reason that the Old Testament prophecy concerning Jesus is so important is because it points to the truth that God has always had a plan. God has always had a plan. He's had a plan from the beginning of time. He still has a plan now. And all through... Time and all through scripture, he's been kind of slowly developing that plan for us. And so if you were to begin in Genesis 1 and read your way all the way through the Old and New Testament, you would gradually develop this understanding of Messiah. 
you would gradually understand more and more that God has got a plan. But here's the second reason, and maybe this reason is even more important to you. It's very important to me. The importance of Old Testament prophecy concerning the Messiah is that it proves the Bible is accurate. It proves the Bible is real. I mean, one way you want to test the truth of the Word of God is begin with prophecy. Anybody that questions the truth and the validity of the Word of God, just go to the Old Testament and begin to walk through verses that point to Messiah. All the scriptures that talk about who Jesus will one day be, what he will accomplish, what will happen in his life. And you see time and time again that not only is he prophesied about in the Old Testament hundreds of years before his birth, but then you can go to the New Testament and you can point to truth after truth after truth where Jesus fulfills these prophecies. Now, outside of this being the absolute truth of the word of God, you explain to me how that's possible. You gather all these unrelated authors You tell them to write individual books over the course of 1,500 years and then you get all those people back together and you find truth in all those and find prophecy that's actually fulfilled. You can't do that. It's impossible. If I gathered 40 authors over 1,500 years and told them to write independent books, there's no way they'd be related. Much less all have specific prophecy relating to somebody that would one day be born hundreds of years later. Yet that's exactly what we see in Scripture. We see prophecy after prophecy after prophecy foretold and then fulfilled. It's a picture of the absolute and errant word of God. And so I want to look at some of this prophecy this morning found in these couple of verses, verses 26 and 27. And let me just remind you before we jump into some of this prophecy, there had been a 400-year period of silence. The Old Testament is written, it's canonized, it's official, it's done And then for 400 years, no more prophets, no more words. The Lord doesn't speak to anybody. And then when we see this announcement of the birth of John the Baptist, and then in our study this morning, the announcement of the birth of Christ, it's the first time in 400 years the Lord has spoken. So let's listen to what he says. Look again at verse 26. There's an interesting clue that points to some Old Testament truth. Bring verse 26. There it is. Perfect. Verse 26 says, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Now, for us, we know the story, don't we? We've heard it before. In fact, I probably could ask every person in here before I started preaching the story of Jesus. Where was he from? Where was he born? Where did his parents live? You could probably give me all the details. And at some point in that discussion, you would probably mention the town of Galilee. But for Mary and Joseph and the people in the first century, that didn't mean anything. You understand that? Before Jesus came along, they didn't know who he was. They didn't know where he was going to be born. Galilee is not a big deal to them unless they understood prophecy. So hold your place in Luke. And if you want to flip back, we can flip back to Isaiah 9. You don't have to. If you're not good with a Bible sword drill, you can just kind of listen. You can write it down and read it later. But I want you to listen to what Isaiah chapter 9 says. Now just bear in mind Luke 1, 26, 27, the idea of Galilee and Nazareth. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, 700 years before the birth of Christ. I don't have time to go in this, but you ought to research the Dead Sea Scrolls. Within the Dead Sea Scrolls, they found an entire copy, a manuscript, a scroll of the entire book of Isaiah. Hundreds and hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. Here's what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 9 verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress... In the past, he humbled, speaking of the Lord, the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephthali. But in the future, so Isaiah now is looking ahead in the future, he will honor Galilee. There's that word. 
700 years before the birth of Christ. He will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. It's great. So Isaiah says that one day he's going to honor the people of Galilee. Well, that could mean a lot of things, Adam. Maybe he's going to do some neat things for them. Maybe he's going to give them a present. What, what sort of an honor are we talking about? Well, verse 2 is very clear. How's he going to honor the people of Galilee? The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You may not know this, but all through the New Testament, Jesus is called the light of the world. And we see all sorts of references, especially in the book of John, to this idea of light and darkness. The idea of darkness, things without Christ, sinful people walking in a world filled with sin. And the idea of the light of Christ in that darkness is a picture of what we see all through the gospel. It's what Isaiah says is going to happen. One day something's going to happen in Galilee... I'm going to honor the people of Galilee. In the midst of their great darkness, a light is going to dawn. The birth of the light, the birth of a child. But look at verse 27. Pull that up if we would please. The connection gets stronger. This is going to happen to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now this is an interesting idea here in verse 27. Because the Bible tells us that Mary is a virgin and she's going to have this baby. And we'll see in a few minutes she's going to name him Jesus. But I want to draw your attention back again to the Old Testament. Because we've already made the connection with Galilee. We've made the connection with the great light. We've made a connection with the darkness. Now I want to draw your attention back to Isaiah chapter 7. Just a few verses before we just read a few minutes ago. Therefore... The Lord himself will give you a sign. Again, Isaiah, 700 years before the birth of Christ. He's looking ahead to the future. The Lord will give you a sign. Great, Lord, what's the sign going to be? Is he going to wave something in the air for us? Is an airplane going to fly by with a banner behind it? Is he going to put something on Facebook? What's he going to do? What's the sign? Well, here's the sign, Isaiah chapter 7. The virgin will be with child. Now, by the way, that that, that idea, I'm going to get to it in a second, is amazing enough for us, and we know the story of Jesus. But to somebody in Old Testament times reading the book of Isaiah, the idea that a virgin is going to have a child makes no sense. There's no frame of reference for them, right? So we understand we're pointing ahead. The virgin will be with child. She will give birth to a son, right? So there's a boy. And you will call him Emmanuel. What's the word Emmanuel mean? Anybody know? God with us. So Isaiah says, in the future, there's going to be a virgin who's going to give birth, which we can't fully understand. She's going to have a son, and this son is going to be God with us. It's clear Old Testament prophecy, fully and absolutely fulfilled through Mary and the birth of her son, Jesus. Now, this is an area of Scripture, unfortunately, that a lot of people attack. In fact, if you want to kind of read scoffers and people that don't believe the Scripture and especially don't believe the Christmas story is written in the book of Luke, this is the first place they begin. A virgin having a baby? This makes no sense to us. It doesn't make any sense to them. And so they kind of laugh about it. They try to disprove it. And there are people within the Christian faith that have kind of gone along those lines. And maybe they say something like this. You know, it's not really that big of a deal. Either she was or she wasn't, it doesn't really matter. The important thing is who Jesus was and what he became. And so whether or not this was true about her is not that big of a deal. We can just kind of pass over. But I want to give you some truth here. 
And I would submit to you that we absolutely cannot just pass over it for several reasons. Reason number one, it's right there in the text. We can't ignore it. If we're going to say this is the absolute word of God, and it's without error, it's inerrant, then we should say it's inerrant. I didn't say in error, by the way. It's inerrant. It's without error. If we're going to say it's the word of God and without error, it says that she was a virgin. We should believe it. We can't just ignore it. But another reason it's important to us is because it points to the miraculous. You understand that? This isn't just some ordinary birth. This isn't just some girl that got pregnant and had a son. This points to the miraculous birth where Mary was a virgin and the Holy Spirit conceived and she bore a son. That's miraculous. It's unlike anything else we've ever read or seen before. Here's another reason it's important. Because it reminds us that sinful people can't produce Messiah. They can't produce their own Savior. Right? Think about it in these terms. Our, our, our whole life, our whole spiritual walk is about this idea of sin separating us from the Lord. And we need to get back to the Lord. Salvation very simply says we need a way back to the Lord. Our sin have separate, sins have separated us from the Lord. We can't get back into right relationship with the Lord because we're sinful. We need somebody to stand in the gap for us. The person that has to stand in the gap was Christ, and he was sinless, right? He never, he never sinned. He never committed any sin. And the virgin birth points to the truth that humans could not come together to produce anyone that could be the savior of the world. We couldn't do that ourselves. There's absolutely nothing we could do in and of ourselves that would ever produce a way for us to get back to the Lord because of our sin. We needed someone, something supernatural to stand in our place to bridge that gap for us. But here's another reason this is important. This idea of the virgin birth points to the divinity and the humanity of Christ. Now, we're not going to go into a lot of detail about this, but you need to understand just some, just some theology here, some simple theology. The Bible teaches that Jesus was 100% God, and he was 100% man. Now, some of you are scratching your head. You're like, I, that wasn't real good in algebra. But I thought, I thought when you added two together, they had to equal 100. I didn't know you could get, you know, like 50-50 or maybe he was 80-20 or 75-25. Well, in human understanding, that makes sense. But the Bible tells us very clearly time and time again that Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. And so we read about his divinity we read about all he accomplished, but we also understand that he was fully human, and so he was hungry just like you are. He was thirsty just like you are. He got tired just like you do. And so even though he was fully God, he experienced all the things we experience as a human being. The virgin birth points to that truth. He's fully God, yet he came from woman. It's a concept we don't need to lose. It's a concept we don't need to just throw away. It's a concept we don't need to ignore. It's, 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 it's not a concept we need to give over and question. It is the truth of the word of God, and it's there for a reason. So the Bible tells us that Mary's going to have a baby. She's going to be a virgin. That's prophesied in Isaiah chapter 7. But look at the end of verse 27 again, if we bring that back up. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So not only do we see all the things we've just talked about, where he's going to be born, we see some information about Mary, what he's going to be called, we'll see that in a minute. But he's a descendant of David. Now I'm not going to ask you to flip back right now, but if you were to look back in Matthew chapter 1, we've talked about this a lot. Matthew chapter 1 is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. 
And if you were to go back and kind of do some research in Matthew chapter 1, you would kind of see, here's the big picture. You know, let's just flip back. Flip back to Matthew chapter 1. Let's just read it. It's not too far back there. Matthew chapter 1, verse 17. Here's the big picture of Matthew chapter 1, right? This is kind of the summary. If you want to summarize Matthew chapter 1, verse 17. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David. Now we're studying Abraham now in Genesis, right? So 14 generations from Abraham to David. 14 from David to the exile to Babylon. And 14 from the exile to Christ. Right? So we see kind of these divisions here from Abraham to David to the Babylonian exile, and eventually to Jesus Christ. So what we understand through that genealogy is that David is an ancestor of Christ, right? Jesus is a descendant of King David. Now, that's not hard for us to understand because David was a king of Israel. He was a powerful king. We probably know his name. We know his story. He accomplished a lot of great things, and it's not uncommon for kings to pass down the kingship or the lineage from one son to the next, right? So it's not uncommon for us to understand that a king would eventually come from the line of David. We would expect that. But Old Testament prophecy gives us a a, a kind of a a different picture of what this is going to look like. I'm going to give you a couple examples again. I'm not going to read through every prophecy this morning, but I just think it's important for us to understand Again, it just paints a bigger picture that God had a plan really from the beginning. So 2 Samuel verse 7, don't flip back, let me just read it to you. Speaking about King David, I want you to listen to what this says. When your days are over, this is speaking to David, hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, and you rest with your ancestors. In other words, David, when you're dead and gone and we've buried you, I, the Lord, will raise up your offspring to succeed you. Your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. Again, nothing out of the ordinary so far. Kings establish more kings. It's passed down through their lines. Sons become kings. We would expect other kings to come from that. But verse 13 of 2 Samuel 7 is what's important. Speaking of this king that will one day come. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. See that? So the king that will one day come from David is no ordinary king. Not only is he going to build a house in my name, and we think about the idea of the tabernacle there, but I will establish the throne of his king, of his kingdom forever, right? God says, this king, whoever it's going to be, David, whoever will one day come from you, I'm going to establish his throne and his kingdom will reign forever, now, I don't know about you, but I don't know of any kings in this world whose kingdom has reigned forever. There have been powerful kings, there have been powerful leaders, there have been powerful people all through the centuries that have led nations and peoples and countries. But the one thing all those people have in common is that one day their rule ends, right? It doesn't go on forever. So as we understand that this king that will one day come from David, the throne is going to be established. His kingdom is going to reign forever. It clues us in something different's going on here. Jeremiah chapter 23, beginning in verse 5. Again, the Lord speaking. This is prophecy written hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. Again, a picture of the king that will come from the line of David. In his days, Judah will be saved, 
Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called. Ready for the name of the king that will come from the line of David and rule forever? His name is the Lord, our righteous Savior. See that? It's just chock full of these ideas of the Lord's plan and the Lord's prophecy and the Lord's goodness and all that the Lord has done. You say, how do, how do these things relate to me? Well, there are two things I want you to see as we kind of draw some application. One, God still has a plan for you. Period. You may not understand that plan now. You, you, you may not even be kind of in the will of God. You may not be seeking him right now. But you need to understand the truth of the word of God is he has a plan for you. And, and if you're not studying his word and spending time in prayer, I want, I want to kind of just maybe drop a little bit of a bombshell on some of you just very quickly if I could. If you're not in the word of God and praying and studying and seeking him, the way you're living your life may not be his plan for you. You ever thought about that? As the wheels turn just for a second. And what you're doing right now may not be his plan. Some of you are thinking, you know, I've been wondering why things aren't going really like I wanted them to. Or maybe, maybe you're thinking, I... I, I I don't find any real peace or real joy or real fulfillment or contentment in what I'm doing. It's probably because you're not living the plan God's called you to live. I mean, don't you think, don't you think if God had a plan from the beginning of time and prophesied about Messiah for hundreds of years, century after century, he wrote all this in the word of God, he planned all these things out. Don't you think if he had a plan that big, don't you think if he could pull that off, then he could pull off a plan for you in your life? It's kind of silly when we think about it, isn't it? We would even consider that he couldn't. It's silly when we consider the fact that maybe God, we think that God never works in our life. But here's where some of you are going, and I'm going to cut you off at the pass right here. You ready? Some of you think, well, the Lord could never use me. I mean, maybe he's got a plan. Maybe he's done some great things, and, and maybe from the beginning he's prophesied, and maybe all those things are true, Adam, but you just don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. And you're beginning to roll off all the devil's reminding you right now of all the things you've done, all the sins you've committed. You just don't know how I live my life, Adam. You don't know what I did back then. You don't know what I did yesterday. You don't even know what I was thinking this morning on the way to church. The Lord could never use me. I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough Bible. All the Old Testament prophecies you're talking about, Adam, I'm unaware of those things. I don't know these kinds of things. I'm, I'm not the person that I need to be in order for the Lord to use me. Well, let me just give you some truth very quickly. We read these incredible accounts of the Old Testament and the New Testament of how God used these amazing people. But here's what you need to understand. As we think about the, especially the line of Jesus Christ, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, there were some amazing people in that line, but there were some really bad people in that line as well. If you begin to think through all the things that you know about the people that the Lord used all through Scripture, you come to names like Abraham. Abraham was a great man that the Lord used, but we know full well in our study, he didn't always trust the Lord, did he? We read about people like David, and we think King David, he was an amazing man, and the Lord, you, you know David was an adulterer and a murderer, do you know that? He literally committed adultery and then had that woman's husband murdered. You know what the Lord says about David? He's a man after my own heart. See, the devil will trick you and lie to you and make you believe he can't use you, that's a lie. It's not true. You may convince yourself you don't know enough and you're not smart enough and you can't be used. That's a lie. It's not true. 
Think about all the people God could have chosen to give birth to his son. He chose a poor little peasant girl that nobody knew. (laughs) And he used her to change the world. It's not really about your ability. It's about your trust in his ability to use you. And so God says, I've got this announcement. I've got this plan. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. I can use anybody. It's a beautiful picture. Now let's continue. Verse 28. So the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And again, her response is typical of what we'd expect. Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will be with child, give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Here's truth number two. Not only was this announcement the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, But number two, this announcement was a picture of salvation. This announcement was a picture of salvation. Now, the angel uses an interesting word when he deals with Mary. He says, Mary, don't be afraid. Don't worry. You found favor. Now, that word has a real specific meaning if you begin to study it in Scripture. And one of the ways we interpret and understand Scripture is we interpret Scripture with itself. And so we come to certain words or phrases, one of the things we do is we study the Word of God as we try to figure out, are there other places in Scripture where those words or phrases are used? If so, how are they used? And how can we take the meaning of how they were used and apply it to the text we're studying now? So the word favor, are there other examples in Scripture of the Lord speaking to someone and saying you found favor? If so, where are they? I want to give you some examples. Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. The Lord speaking to Noah. The Bible says, Noah found, here's the word, favor in the eyes of the Lord. Judges chapter 6, verse 17. Gideon replied, Now if I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. By the way, God gave him the sign and God used Gideon. 1 Samuel 1, verse 18. Hannah, who's the mother of the prophet Samuel, who will eventually anoint King David, the Lord says to her, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Here's the point, right? When God uses the word favor, he's calling people to do very specific things. He's calling them to accomplish great tasks. And when he does that, he always prepares them for what he calls them to do. Sometimes we struggle with the idea of mission work or sharing our testimony or going out and doing what the Lord's called us to do because we don't feel prepared. Now, I don't don't want a show of hands, but I want you in your heart to answer this question, yes or no. How many of you at some point in your life have failed to do what the Lord called you to do because you didn't think you were prepared to do it? I'm raising my hand in my heart, by the way, right now. It's easy, isn't it? Oh, no, 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 Lord. Lord, you have no idea. I, I, I can't do that. I can't go on that mission trip. I've had conversations with somebody. You've said that to me. And then six months later, you come back. Well, maybe I can go. You know, maybe the Lord is going to use me. Or I, I can't go into that laundromat ministry and talk to that lady. I don't know what to say to her. Or I can't go knock on that door and, and share my faith. I, I'm not equipped to do that. I'm not, I'm not wise enough to do that. I'm not, I'm not ready to do that. And here's what we need to understand about Scripture. God always prepares and equips those that he calls. You understand that? There's the old saying, you've all seen it probably a hundred times, but it goes something like this. He doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. I think that's really cool. And it's true. 
Guess what? If we were equipped in and of ourselves, he wouldn't need us, would he? We'd, we'd already be smart enough to do it. Instead, he says, you know, I'm going to take ordinary people. I'm going to take ordinary citizens. I'm going to take people that may not have all the knowledge they need. And I'm going to prepare them to do what I've called them to do. In this case, God says, Mary, I'm going to use you to have this boy. And he's going to provide salvation to the world. Look at verse 31. You will be with child, give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus. Now, for us, names are not that big of a deal. We don't study what names mean. We don't understand. In fact, I, I, I bet most of us in this room have no idea what our names really mean. Why? Because when our parents named us and when you named your children, you probably didn't name them based on what the name itself meant. It's not as big of a deal in our society. But back then, especially when this was written in the first century, Names had great significance. And so when God comes to Mary through Gabriel and says, you're going to have this son, you're going to name him Jesus. Jesus very simply means the Lord saves. Now the importance of this name, the importance of the meaning of this name wouldn't have been lost on Mary because Mary was a Jewish girl that understood the prophecies. She understood what the Lord had been saying. She understood that one day Messiah would come. Now he comes to her and he says, look, These prophecies are going to be fulfilled in you. He doesn't say that. She would have understood that. These prophecies are going to be fulfilled in you. You're going to have this son. You're going to name him Jesus. And it means that salvation has arrived to all who would believe. You understand that? This announcement was a picture of salvation. Just think about it like this. Put it in historical terms. For centuries, all the pain... All the suffering, all the sin, all the things that had taken place over all those centuries, all the ways in which people had struggled, and yet all during that time, there was no Savior. They had to make sacrifices to atone for their sins. God says to Mary, the time has come. You're going to have a son, you're going to name him Jesus, and salvation would finally arrive. Now he's going to tell her a little bit more about the son. Look at verse 32. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. It's it's interesting. Anytime I read these passages, and especially what he says to to Joseph, I I put myself in the place of Mary or Joseph, and I think about what I wanted for my children. So if you have children, think about what you wanted for your children, what you hoped for for your children. If you don't yet have children, maybe you're thinking about what one day you hope for your children. And because of things I wanted for my children, I don't, I don't find them here. This is, a, this is a picture of something bigger. You understand that? He doesn't say, Mary, you're going to have the son. He's going to be really fast and he's going to throw a baseball 85 miles an hour when he's in the 12th grade. Or he's going to make a 1500 on the SAT. Or he's going to be really popular. Or he's going to run for political office and win. He, he doesn't say those sorts of things. And so we see that when we read this, there's something bigger happening. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. Right? This is somebody unusual here. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. So there's the tie into the Old Testament. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Here's truth number three. This announcement was evidence of Christ's eternal reign. This announcement was evidence of Christ's eternal reign. The Bible says that the Lord will give him the throne. 
He will reign over the house of Jacob in the line of David and his kingdom will never end. Now, I just want to read for you. I've already read several passages in the Old Testament. I want to read just a couple more because, again, we're making this connection here. We're understanding exactly who Messiah is. Isaiah chapter 9, it's a passage we're probably very familiar with when I read it to you. Again, written hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. Listen to how Jesus is described in Isaiah 9 verse 6. For unto you a child is born. No big deal. Yet. Unto you a son is given. Again, no big deal. We're prophesying that one day a boy will be born. That's not newsworthy. The government will be on his shoulders. Okay, that's a little little more. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. That's a great nickname to have, by the way, if you need a nickname. Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So we're understanding now, this is no ordinary kid. He's going to be awfully important, whoever he is. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. You see that, Isaiah 9, Luke 1? See the connection? This is a king that will reign forever. He will reign on David's throne. There's the connection again. And over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Not only is a child going to be born, not only is he going to be a boy, not only will he be a king, not only is he going to reign on David's throne, but he's going to reign forever. This is the announcement of the eternal all-powerful King of kings and Lord of lords who brings salvation to all who believe. Now, we sang earlier, it was at my request, and I I really appreciate the, the team putting that together for me. Mary, did you know? That's a powerful song. The, the lyrics to that song, every time I hear it, just speak directly to my heart. But I want to read just a portion as I finish up this morning. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? The child that you delivered will soon deliver you. You know, there is deliverance and there is hope and there is peace found in only one place. Jesus Christ. We read about his announcement this morning. It wasn't simply the announcement of a birth of a boy. It was the beginning of God's plan to redeem his people back to himself. To send Christ who would ultimately give his life on the cross for forgiveness of our sins. It's the greatest story ever told. It's the greatest announcement ever made. And God wants to to speak to you and through you and use you this morning because of all that Christ did for us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the words of Scripture that are just clear. Lord, the compelling truth of prophecy is undeniable, Father. We have to be willingly ignorant to miss it. We have to be willingly ignorant to miss the truth of who Christ was. And so, Father, I pray that we would understand the prophecies. I pray we would understand that he's the eternal king. But, Lord, as we kind of just dial this down into our hearts right now, I pray that we would understand that he brings salvation. Only through Jesus Christ can we be saved. 
And so, Lord, I pray specifically right now for that man or woman or that child right now, that student who heard this truth, who understands this truth, and who the Holy Spirit is speaking to right now about salvation. Lord, I pray you would just well up within that person's heart the need of repentance, the need of accepting the King of kings and the Lord of lords whose throne is eternal. I pray that person would understand right now, Lord, that eternity literally hangs in the balance. Not only will their life on this earth change forever, but they, their eternity would change forever, Father. Give them the courage and the strength to accept you, to receive you as their Lord and Savior. And then I pray, Father, you would do great things in their heart for your honor and glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. I'm going to give you the chance for just a couple of minutes. The altar is open. If you need to understand salvation, well, I can explain it to you. But this is your time to respond. You come as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.